This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blah! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Hey, Typology listeners, my dear friends, welcome back to another scintillating episode of Typology, the Enneagram-themed podcast on which we explore the, here goes goes my FM radio voice, on which we explore the mystery of the human personality (laughs) through the lens of the Enneagram. I like it. I know, it's pretty good, but you really have, I don't, I I want to talk about my my voice envy, (laughs) my voiceover envy for you. Okay, so, um, as you know... I have a love, a passion, and this is legit, right, mm-hmm. for beautiful questions. In fact, there's a new book out called A Beautiful Question, which is about the power of a beautiful question, right? And for years, uh, actually, it's sitting over there, that red notebook over there, as you know, I, I have, I log great questions. So I wrote down a question this week that I want to ask you and see, it, it's a little, it's a little tricky because it actually is one of those that we may have to edit out the pause uh, because it takes a second to answer it, but here it is. You ready? Mm-hmm. What did you learn uh, this past week mm-hmm. that you will still care about in five years from now? Mm. Wow. I'll say it again so you can like, you can like <laughs> give you a second to absorb it. What did you learn in the past seven days that um, you will still care about in, in five years from now? Well, I can tell you it happened last night. Seriously? Yesterday. I was reading about fours and the reality of I feel even deeper than I thought I felt. Mm. It is one of the reasons why sometimes I watch TV or like I'll you know get on Netflix because I just need a break from how intensely I feel. Wow. Things. Yeah. And you and I have these conversations as fours. We are not our feelings. We are the ones who are experiencing these feelings. You know, I've known this. And it's taken a lot of growth to learn how to cherish and even celebrate the way that I'm made. But last night, the rabbit hole just got even deeper. Wow. <laughs> All right. So here's, I'm going to throw another question at you. Yeah. Name me a person who in the first 10 seconds that you met them, you knew you were in the presence of a person who was plugged in spiritually emotionally at a level that's rare to find or to encounter like so like you just oh my gosh I, the, the guy could woman could have said five words and i'd known right then and there i'm in the presence of a giant well, besides me the, <laughs> okay so leave me aside because i'm humble i don't want to yeah. hear it well that's not totally fair because springing this on me and the way you qualified it with upon first meeting this person but I do have someone that popped into my head, and that is uh, Daniel Lenoir. Oh, the producer, U2's producer, yes. among many. Yes. Other artists. Oh, yeah, that's deep. Yeah. I met him in Nashville. Uh, we had a couple conversations. It was a really deep spiritual experience for me. And his essence, there was this sense of love and fatherliness that was just emitting from him. And there was just a sense of knowing 
ah, this is why he's had such a profound impact as a guide and producer to musicians and artists. So, um, well, how about you? Why don't you uh, tell us someone who, who you've known right off the bat who fits that description? I have, I had two. I knew at the moment I met them. I, I was privileged to, to um, be Desmond Tutu's chaplain mm, for two days. Wow. Uh, chaplain in the Episcopal Church just means basically, I, you know, I was his runner. Right. <laughs> you know, you call him chaplain to the, the Archbishop. And for two days, I was sort of uh, responsible for making sure he was getting everywhere to while he was here. And uh, the moment you met Desmond Tutu, you, you, I just tell you, you know that you're in the presence of somebody who has suffered and has found, it's just everything is joy. The guy never stops laughing. And it's a laughter, just like listening to a brook. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, oh, you just know you're in the presence of something very deep. The other one was um, uh, Maya Angelou. Uh, I did a an uh, evening with her and, and that was... One day I'll tell you the story about her actually in the green room singing the hymn. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child uh, over me as a, a kind of blessing. It was crazy. And she had this voice like, sometimes. <laughs> Very low. Uh, anyway. So uh, today, you know, we're, we're continuing a conversation from last week mm-hmm. with a person that when I first met, I had a sense was plugged in at a level that I rarely find in other people. Mm. And I just... It's Paul Young, the author of The Shack, right? We talked with him last week, the, right. uh, the book Eve, Crossroads, and uh, now his latest book, um, which is lies, basically, we tell ourselves about God, you know? And it, it, But here's the thing about Paul. You, if you listened last week, you already know what I'm about to say. He just is, uh, you know, one of those people, his turn of phrase, his language, it's all very reflective of someone who has suffered and integrated. And what's so cool about this show today is we did not still know what his number was. It was between nine and seven, couldn't be sure. And what's crazy about it is, and I'll tell you, you know, we'll talk about it later, but Mm -hmm. what surprised me, and I've done a lot of typing interviews, was how tricky it was Mm -hmm. to find out where he was. And uh, anyway, I don't want to talk anymore. I want to get right to this beautiful guy who's plugged in. Mm -hmm. I put him in the pantheon of people who I have met and instantly knew uh, that he was a deep cat and this was years ago I met him years ago and the first time I ever met him we sat uh, on a bench uh, looking out over Long Island Sound and we sat there for six hours oh that's beautiful gorgeous y'all are gonna pick up on the fact that I'm you know you're gonna know I'm right in about five seconds in our conversation right now with Paul Young The admiration thing wasn't that wasn't the deal. In fact, there is something in me that doesn't doesn't want to be in that spot. Okay, right. So and uh, yeah. that's resisting that resists it. Why? I don't like notoriety. I don't like platform. I don't like smoke and mirrors. It's it it clouds the dimension of relationship. That's today though. What about at twenty? Yeah, at twenty. <sighs> I'd have said that every compliment was a new potential to fail. Mm. Right. Pressure. And so there, yeah. So there was part of that, that, that it, it was, it was the hand up and the hand beckoning, the hand resisting and the hand beckoning. Right. It was, um, it was, yeah, I, I am so empty that your little bits of light that you offer, Kindness, affirmation, affection, 
they sustain me even though I don't believe they're true. Mm. They're not they're not based on you actually knowing me. They're based on my performance. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. so. But I, I need them. I'm willing to enter into the mythology that it's real, even though fundamentally I don't. I would just believe that if you knew the secrets, you would not be extending any of these things toward me. Right. So, right. you know, so shame dominated all of that. And I think it clouded everything. So, right. yeah. So I want to get to your new book because I think it has a lot to do with the Enneagram. And while we do it, by the way, we're going to keep zeroing in on type. You're saying so many things that are fascinating. And I think, golly, you know, I think the problem is going to be, honestly, and I'm not blowing smoke. I think you know that I'm not a smoke blower. Um, You're not. I think the problem is going to be that that suffering has forced you, uh, thankfully, into a place of such integration that, you you may have access to so much stuff that the vast majority of people do not have. Now I want to talk about your book. We're still trying to figure out, are you a, are you a nine? Are you a three? Now, of course, we, we, we contain all of these types, right? So we, we're only dominant in one. These are all beautiful uh, representations or incarnations of God's character or important facets of God's character. So it's no, I'm not surprised that you contain features of all nine. We all do. Uh, but we're, we're looking for the default here, people. We're looking for the default. So let's talk about your new book. I, um, I'm, I'm excited about it um, because of the, uh, in part because the, it's called, the title is The Lies We Believe About God. And I'm excited about it because I, I believe that one of the most important things that human beings can do in order to become healthy, to become true, to become, um, I guess, authentic, authentic, I, yeah, to, to, to uh, get back a little bit closer to who they were before the world told them who they were supposed to be. That's authentic, right? Um, so I, I think one of the things that they have to deal with are the, the, um, the falsehoods, the um, unconscious beliefs that, unbeknownst to them, are dragging them around on a leash. They don't even know why uh, their lives repeatedly fail in so many areas, and it has so much to do with these hidden beliefs. Now, in this particular book, you're talking about those uh, seemingly innocuous beliefs that we that we carry in us and share with other people about God that uh, need to be brought to conscious awareness and challenged because they yeah. cause so much damage. Now, you got 28 in the book. That's the big, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's probably just, uh, we, could, we probably could get 2,800,000, but is that a pretty good praises of, of what the book's about? Absolutely. And uh, it's funny, uh, me and a couple friends in about five minutes came up with 150. <gasps> And uh, yeah, yeah, of these fundamental paradigm uh, lies that undergird so much of our assumptions. And when you understand that paradigms power perception and then perception empowers emotion, Mm -hmm. that a lot of times you can track your emotion back through your perception of what happened into the paradigm to check out, you know, and and the paradigms are things that we don't want to let go of. Now, here's a here's a great illustration. I have a friend who came from a sexual abuse background, very, very broken. And you know how a lot of us, 
uh, until healing begins to happen, we we can we show our damage in our body language mm-hmm. and how we carry ourselves. And, and those of us who are dominated by shame, a lot of times we drop our eyes to the floor a lot. That's, you know, uh, we stoop over. And um, so she comes up and she's looking at the floor. And I'd been just talking about the power of these assumptions, paradigms, and uh, the glasses through which we then, you know, we don't even know we're wearing them, but we look at all life uh, through that prescription. Right. And uh, she said, she said, I'll give you an illustration of the power of a paradigm. She said, you know, when I was a little girl, from the time I was three, four, five, through my whole childhood, I prayed and begged God every night to change the color of my eyes to blue. Mm. And she said, the reason that I did is that my dad was an alcoholic and almost every night he would get drunk. And when he got drunk, he got mean. And he'd start to say all these horrible things about how ugly I was. And the biggest Mm. thing that he would always gravitate to was, you know, you have the ugliest eyes. Mm. Your eyes are the color of cat shit. And and so she said, so I begged God, please, would you change the color of my eyes to blue? Because if God would just change the color of our eyes to blue, maybe her daddy would love her, you know. Yeah. And she said, and then she looks up at me and she says, so Paul, what, what are the color of my eyes? And I'm looking into two of the most beautiful blue eyes that I've ever seen. And I'm going like, did God change the color of your eyes? She says, no, they were always this color, but I didn't know it until I was in my thirties. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the power of these paradigms. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the lens through which we see that we've been told. And we have to have those lies exposed for us to begin to gravitate or move toward freedom. And some of them are terrifying to let go of because they gave us, even in the damage, a sense of certainty. This is why we love our prisons. Yes. Uh, I can't remember who the author is uh, who talks about these are our beautiful lies. (laughs) Though chains be of gold, they are chains all the same. That's right. And no prison is more secure than the one you don't know you're in. Thank you, Shakespeare. Right. So these are these these lies or stories, these narrative, these fictions that uh, operate underneath the uh, conscious awareness until we can can actually know that they're operating. Uh, they're just in there doing whatever they want. They're autonomous. Right. Causing all kinds of problems. So. The ones we have about God, though, which is the ones you're really zeroing in uh, on yeah. in this book versus the ones that we may have about ourselves, although there's some overlap. Um, like, just give me three, give me three, for example, out of the 28 that 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 you think are particularly pernicious, you know, that people really have to deal with because they're so damaging. Yeah. Uh, God does not submit. Mm. I think that's hugely damaging. Right. That. um that God loves you but doesn't like you. Um, that uh, you that the truth of your being is that you're a piece of crap. Mm. <laughs> you know that that's the deepest truth of who you are. Mm. Um, the uh, that this is a that this is a God who who uh, is limited by death. That death defines everything. I think that's a huge one, especially in my in my community of faith, my people. And um, uh, that not everyone is a child of God. Mm. There's one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so you start going down. And what, what happens inside the book is as, and it's done inside story, right? So 
as you begin to see how they're layered, all of a sudden you see that they're all woven together, you know, and you start pulling on one of them and all of a sudden it's affected by the other things. You right. know, the God, God is not religious, you know. Mm. That's a huge one. We just assume that God is religious. Well, God's never been religion, mm -hmm. uh, religious. Mm -hmm. And the, the implications of that are pretty profound. Mm. Yeah. Which one has been the worst of those lies for you? God is not good. Oh, that, that's just the worst. tell me. So, because so, of what you experienced as a child? or Partly that, and partly we had a theology in which, you know, uh, God the Father was willing to beat the hell out of his son in order to be right with other people. So there was a sense that there was a darkness behind the person of Jesus. That is, that Jesus came to save me from God the Father, that darkness, because that God is not fundamentally good. Or that God was alone, was yes. the one alone. I think that's linked to that. And if God has ever been alone, that God does not by nature love. Therefore, love and relationship are something that is a spin-off of the creation and not of the character and nature of God. Well, the implications of that are unbelievable. Mm -hmm. so, is this God good all the time? What, is, what does that say about evil and the, and the problem of pain and, and uh, if God is good all the time? Mm -hmm. uh, so how do we begin to understand that? So you can't trust someone who's not good all the time, you yes. know, or, or that you don't know loves you for who you are. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was a real split in my, my understanding of the character of God based on, you know, God, God is not good. Yeah, he's, he's good, but the caveat was, well, God is not a human being, therefore he can be, he can be good in a, in a very, you know, functional way and somehow he gets a pass yeah yeah and I, that's I, I think for me personally the belief that I I had I had you know there was, it was kind of a such a mixed message but having grown up in a family with so much pain and uh, you know we spoke about this one night in Montana just you know the yeah. that suffering place I I I think it, the the what I felt was is that God just loved everybody else except me, and that and that I had that that He had the and I don't even use the word abandoned. I use the word forsaken. I, I felt that living in an alcoholic home and suffering in a way that I didn't see my peers suffer in their homes, uh, and of course, it, and behind closed doors where nobody knew that God. Uh, was had forsaken me, and that whenever I spoke to him, he received it as though I were a great pest, a gnat, a fruit fly that he would just want to wave away. And I, I'm, I still have to catch myself uh, because you know yeah. these beliefs, yeah. these messages, they, they get, they get, whoa, they're deep in the neural pathways, right? They are. But the part of the beauty is, is that. Today, what takes me six hours to deal with when I get triggered used to take me six months, mm. and I can see that, right? Mm -hmm. So that and and I'm much better at laughing at myself, not mm. taking myself so damn serious, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it just, takes a long time to get there, though, doesn't it? Oh, and not it's not an easy road, and it's it's arduous work, but it's you're worth the work. What's your you number know? one trigger? Oh, and, and what does boy, it activate? Great question. Um, uh, betrayal probably, mm. I think is it, it, 
it probably has the potential to trigger me. Um, also, uh, oh, I've got a deeper one, and that is uh, somebody who has the persona of of power. Uh, how would I put this? And I'm not even sure it's true anymore. But it used to be that uh, somebody that had the the uh, educational accoutrements and everything else that would uh, make a statement about my worth or value or significance, you know, mm-hmm. that would be a trigger. Um, so, so are you saying that somebody who you would compare yourself to and then you, you would feel or, like you came up short? That, or that had the, the positions of power. I see associated with culture and stuff but i don't think that's true anymore because i've been in that situation recently and part of part of the where i'm at now is that i don't have to know everything i don't have to be right i don't have to be perfect and i'm okay with that and where i didn't used to be and so you know oh you know what it probably was is that they exposed the fraud i thought i was Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. yeah that's not true anymore but betrayal um, it's a great sadness to me. Um, Does it anger you? Is it rage and grief, or is it just grief? Or? Uh, both. Um, I don't get angry to the any kind of the degree that I used to, except at just flat-out injustice. I'm, I'm finding myself much more viscerally furious at things that are wrong. And, and it mm. seems that comes from the healing itself. But the thing that I don't do with it that I used to is that I don't take it now as a burden to bear. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't I don't own it as something that I need to fix. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, I'll tell you what triggers me is when I have not been authentic with those that I love, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's where I have to really go and say, all right, I've got to extend to myself some grace here. You know, I think that's one of the big ones mm-hmm. as I think about it, because that that breaks my heart in a way that mm-hmm. not much else does, mm-hmm. um, you know, to hurt someone that I love. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I I um, I've realized this year that for me, for what it's worth, a major trigger, a huge trigger is bullies. Mm. If I if I'm around a bully. I'll I'm tell with you, you there. It, it, I'm with it, you there. It brings up a level of rage. In, I could take my dog to the dog park. I got this cute little seven-month-old golden doodle who, to me, is just, you know, you can't be an atheist when you're around this dog because he is just fantastic. You know, he's just so wonderful. And if there's a bully dog in the dog park, I get pissed. And yeah. I think part of it, I'll tell you what I think it is, it's two things. One is, is I'm just going to be honest, we have a president who reminds me of my father, and uh, there's an atmosphere of bullying in the culture that absolutely enrages me whenever I see it. And of course, it's hard to get away from. Right. And uh, yeah. and I hear the right bullying the left and the left bullying the right. And I just absolutely because I was bullied badly in school. I mean, to the point where today they would be a serious intervention. Of course, in those days, Catholic school, 1960s, you know, too bad for you. You know, uh, you know, it's like sort of social Darwinism, you know, in that world. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but it's bullies. And I'll tell you, there are a few things that and I'm a small guy, as you know. I mean, there are a few things that would would get me into a fight fast than if, when I saw a bully going 
after me or somebody else in a way that I would step in. Uh, See, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. For me, triggers are something that is associated with our brokenness. Mm -hmm. That's what I associate it with. That kind of a trigger, we're talking about a response to injustice. But I also think it's actually a response to having been bullied, the brokenness of being bullied. So I'm sure uh, I think I'm identifying with what the others experience. Yeah. How else do we learn empathy in those kinds of situations as clearly as when we've experienced those kinds of losses ourselves? It's true. Yeah. So to me, I'm I'm with you. I mean, you attack a woman, you attack a child, you and I'm just like, you know, you can attack me all you want. I can't watch movies, by the way, when children are being uh, uh, assaulted uh, or hurt. Uh, I can't watch them. Uh, 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 I, can't, I can't watch rape movies you know that involve rape. I can't do any of that. I can't even watch sitcoms where the whole underlying precedence is that we are going to lie to each other and hurt each other. Mm-hmm. Right? I can't handle that. And so, uh, oh you know, boy. it's just the inauthenticity of, of our continuously destructive um, attitudes one toward another. And when it's done inside humor... Um, a, a lot of times it's like it gets a free pass and I'm just not comfortable. I'd, I could watch MASH all day long because of its <laughs> integration of our humanity. But you give me a, a show where everybody is lying to each other and they built a plot line out of that. It's just like, I can't handle that. Yeah. You know, so. I, I want to ask you just a couple of spe- type specific questions. I, I have okay. no idea if we're going to get to type today. I tell people all the time, I, it took me 10 months before I knew my type. Uh, I tell people that tests are about only right 55% of the time. Uh, yeah. That the only really way to the only way to know your type is to really read up on it and go to a, preferably go to a boat, read up on it and go to a workshop and take your time uh, as you do it. But I want to ask you a couple of questions. I'm going to give you three underlying motivations. Tell me if you identify with any of them, and I want okay. you to think, Paul. Back, this is going to be difficult because you experienced trauma very early in I life. Did. And, and trauma has a way of arresting development in different ways. And so remembering, but as best you can, remember to who you were, let's say at 18, 20 years old, even though I know that by then there was already a lot of trauma at play. But let's just, let's just do that. Okay. Right? All right. So the first one would be um, you have a compulsive need to uh, avoid conflict, to... Um, uh, maintain connection to maintain status quo to keep this is a big one maintain uh, a sense of inner peace and harmony on the inside of your life and so that's why you avoid conflict right is because that would disturb the the, the surface of your inner sea um, you have a gift for seeing uh, through the eyes of everybody else except yourself you know, so you, you you can see all the sides of everything, of everybody's position, and it all looks valid. Right? So you, you but so Or you, you can find a you can find a valid place within each. Yes, without actually having to commit to any of them. If you know because you you want to avoid conflict, let's say. So that's one. Okay, that's one type. All right. Second okay. one would be um a compulsive need to avoid emotional pain, unpleasant feelings, psychological pain, anything. Um, and the, by the way, and the strategy to uh, accomplish that 
would be to constantly be living in a future where you're always thinking about the next great adventure, unlimited possibilities. It's going to be, you know, uh, it's a Peter Pan like archetype. It's, it's, I, I want to have fun. I want to be wrapped up in fascinating ideas. And what you don't understand, of course, uh, is that what you're doing in large measure is trying to live anywhere but in the present moment where feelings that are uncomfortable, everything from just being stuck and routine, uh, those feelings to grief and suffering, you just because you're afraid that there's no one there to support you and you'll never get through it if you have to get dragged into it. So you, you create Neverland in the brain and that's where you retreat. Okay. Hey, it's not that one. Boom. Thank you. And I'm going to tell you something in a second about the sevens that I was describing enthusiasts there. And I'm going to go, if we have time, I'll tell you what Michael Cusick said. Cause I just happened to be talking the day. I said, Hey, I'm going to be on the phone. Paul, we're going to talk about type. And I said, what do you know? What do you think? All right. Number of three. Here's the last one. Already mentioned it. These are threes, right? Which is a need to succeed at all costs, to be the star performer. Uh, these are people in the triad who project a mask or a persona of success. Uh, they want to be recognized and uh, validated as a success in their context and avoid failure because they confuse success or the appearance of success or the appearance of being a great achiever with love. Um, and admiration and acceptance. Um, there, um, now the deadly sin, by the way, of of the nine, which I mentioned earlier, is sloth, and that that sloth expresses itself not in physical laziness, but in a failure to pay attention to themselves. It, it's it's a failure to invest. Uh, they they don't believe their presence matters. These are nines, and so they they fail to self. Uh, Develop they they individuation differentiation they they they're always merging with others or with a group uh, in order to uh, gain a sense of identity. There are a lot of religious people can can uh, easily do this right. They can merge uh, in, into a, a group, and lots of those are also sixes who do it for a different reason. Now, those threes um, are very shame based, as are as are twos and fours. Um, and of those three, oh, the threes is deceit because they actually begin to believe that they are the persona that they are representing to the world. The deadly sin of sevens, which we've already determined is not, is gluttony, right? They can't, they just can't simply get enough exciting, happy, fascinating, new ideas, adventures into one yeah. minute yeah. of those. Do any of those three sound like you at age 20? Ooh, at age 20. At age 20. Or at any time in your life. Do any of those yeah. sound like a position that you... you know, the, first, you... the first more than the other three. Okay, so the nine. Yep, it okay. sounds more. Um, How did you do with conflict? How do you do with, deal with conflict now? Were you an avoider? Or did you, were you frightened of it? Were you... Um, I still don't like it. <laughs> I still resist it. Um, I'm not near uh, as a as concerned or afraid of it as I used to be. Um, I think partly is that I create a categorical distance, you know, cause there's a lot of conflict that I just, I frankly don't have the time for. Mm -hmm. And so I, it's, it's unnecessary um, to engage that conflict. The conflict that I will engage with are those who are in my life and around me and, you know, 
inside relationship. Right. But um, yeah, I'm. It it's work for me to engage conflict. I'm not. It's not an exciting place for me. Now, if it's a conflict of ideas or conflict that is external to myself, that is out there within the, within the community of the conversation, I'm a translator and interpreter. Mm-hmm. I can I can move the conversation so that people can actually hear each other. Mm-hmm. When I cannot do that very well for myself, yes, I okay. tend to I tend to shut down, which I think would be more like a nine, right? Yes. So, do you? Let's say over the course of your life, now trauma aside, this is a personality question. Were you asleep to your anger? Yes. Yeah, and it's both a trauma question and a personality question. Yes. I I talk about not being a, not being angry till I was thirty eight. You know. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So there is that definite part of it where, um, yeah. And if if I got to the place where the anger was triggered, it usually would be. Uh, explosive and you know out, outside the boundaries mm-hmm. it would it would be a react, it would be a reactive result rather than a responsive kind of thing right yeah. and so you were talking earlier about dissociation and for people who don't know that for for folks in in trauma dissociative state is uh well without going into technical terms uh is a way of sort of checking out of the present moment it's triggered or activated by something that uh brings up uh memory or trauma and so it's like i gotta check out it's like a um unplugging uh from life force uh and you you dissociation can can happen in lots of different ways but, but Paul, for the sake of our conversation, nines, you know, one of the major features for them is in order not to deal with anger and also to deal with their true desires, which they're not pursuing for fear that they'll compete with those of others, right? Mm. Uh, they will narcotize. And that's the word we use is narcotization. And they often look spacey. Nines go spacey a lot. And it does look dissociative. I will tell you that I have, and I think it is a little dissociative. They, you'll see them looking off into the middle distance sometimes. And when my wife, who's a nine, does this, I'll say, "Baby, you angry about something? Mm-hmm. What are you feeling right now that you don't? Well, what is it you you, you know, but uh, are refusing to know at this moment, or mm-hmm. are feeling but are refusing to feel in this moment? Yeah. Now yeah. we don't normally always go that heavy, but that's what I see nines do: is dissociate. Yeah, because it's just too painful to live in touch with that anger or that and scary, I should say, with with their desires, because their desires, you know, what do I want to do with my life? They, that also, you know, makes the inside feel not very harmonious. So I wonder if some of that dissociation there was nine ish narcotizing or That's checking a, I, out. I don't think there's a question about it. As you talk about it, it totally makes sense to me. Mm. You know, over the course of my life, I had if you ask me what do you like? I couldn't have told you. Or this is why you couldn't make a decision about, you know, where do you want to go eat? Or Oh, you know. boy, this is all nine material here, boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is all yeah. nine material. And of course, you know, nines have identity issue too, different than twos, threes, and fours, but be, in part because they're always merging. Uh, and so they're, they're uh, yeah. in fact, almost vicariously uh, working through the the identity of another or of a group or of a, you know, they, they, they're kind of, uh, yeah, kind of like watery. I mean, the thing I find nines, when I'm teaching the Enneagram, nines are the most difficult number to teach Mm. because 
when they're in the average to unhealthy space, they're so not individuated. Yeah. They, they, that, as a friend of mine says, you know, when we're really unhealthy, we're more of an atmosphere than a solid substance. Mm. Our, our, our essence is atmospheric. You can feel the peace, but we're not actually a presence in the room because we don't want to assert ourselves into the space. That's, that sounds about right. Yeah. Wow. And you know what that... Identify with that. I was thinking about our trip to Montana, and I, I was laughing this morning on the, on the way here to the studio because I, I was remembering that my bed... <laughs> So our beds were next to each other. There were three beds in the room. And there was, it looked like I was having a yard sale around my bed, right? There are clothes everywhere and, and you know, like yep. everywhere. There's junk everywhere, books, right? And you yep. were so tidy. Your area was so tidy. You're, and I so thought, organized. there's yeah. that one. <laughs> yep. Yep. There's that one wing, man. And it just, yep. I, I kept looking over there going, he must hate rooming with me. <laughs> Uh, but here's the nine. I don't hate rooming with you. You have your own life. You can do whatever you like. Oh. I understand that, right? Oh, you're a I good think that's man. The nine part. Yeah, well, if you had been a <laughs> if you had been a pure one who was in the average, not very self aware state, you'd have killed me by the end of that week. You don't want to room with Richard, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really don't. I will tell you, I love him. I love him. I love him. But I would be terrified of, of you know, but the good news is, is he might pick up for me. That's yeah. the, that's the good news. Right. He might as a, in service to Jesus. He may clean up the, my, my, my area. One last question. I'm going to let you go. Yeah. These are sort of nine, nine-ish related questions. Cause we, we do try to get people to think about things that they might do to to work toward their more authentic self within type but i think this is we're going to ask questions true for all types but nines pay particular attention so paul how can you get in touch this is what nines need to do in part with that life force your anger and 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 in a way that's healthy and life-giving and uh transformational Mm. So one of the ways that I do it is in is when I speak or when I write and when I create. So that definitely gives me an avenue to express the fury that I feel because I don't want that fury to be damaging to the truth of human beings. I want it to be exposing to the corruption that and the perpetration of our injustice that we do one to another and to ourselves. And so... Uh, I, I feel more fury in my life now than I've ever felt, right? Mm. But I, I, I said it before, I'm not burdened by it. It is, to me, evidence of the health that has happened in my own heart. And um, uh, I'm, I'm still learning to navigate some of that in specific situations, uh, but that's, a, that's just part of the learning curve of not having done it for so many years and now saying, okay, so, what is helpful in a given situation. So I think, you know, it's, it's been the creativity part that has been helpful to that. And also, I've learned to grieve well. Ooh, okay. And, and I think that's been really key. It's just like uh, dealing with regret. I think, you know, regret was such a huge presence in my life because mm-hmm. of, of what I had perpetrated. Um, that to learn how to live with regret as an expression of grief rather than shame has been a huge help for me. Mm-hmm. So, but that ties into the anger too, because you know, 
regret and shame can be self self anger and self destructive but i grieve well mm-hmm. I, I get sad even you know i'm i'm i didn't cry for years and years and years and uh i i you can touch me and i i start leaking you know yeah yeah and to to me that's evidence of wholeness that's yes. happened in my life um but uh, the fury the fury is there but it's now aimed within the context of things that are true not within the context of uh trying to be self-protective mm. and um, self-preservation you know because mm. there's lots to be angry about and i think it's the right response to things that are wrong so as as we have people who uh i think and interestingly, by the way, I think most of our listeners are, are nines and ones. Uh, and I, I, I could have a long conversation about my, my, my sort of theories about that. But that said, uh, one of the problems with the Enneagram is, is that if you start to you know, plug into it as a religion, which unfortunately some people do, it emphasizes difference so much, which is why I always close uh, my workshops with Eucharist, because I want, the, I want people to remember Look, yeah. yes, we are different, but we are one, you know, so we yeah. don't want to overemphasize difference. So regardless, so we have all these types listening right now in as succinct a way as you can. They're all needing each their different messages of healing. But what's the one message of healing, the overarching big message of healing that regardless of type, every human being needs to know and hear? Mm. That you were a very good creation before anything got broken. Mm. That there is a truth of your being that is beyond the damage, beyond the experience, that is wrapped up into your uniqueness, that your uniqueness is now a presentation to the cosmos, that the cosmos absolutely requires, is essential to it. And it's founded in the truth of who you are. And once you know the truth of your being, the way of your being will match it. Mm-hmm. It will just express itself uniquely through how you're wired and crafted and all that. And um, so that's it. Wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. You know, as you know, Thomas Merton is like one of my, my great heroes. And I, you, ju- you just, you're as good as Merton, my friend, because he, he has that great thing, <laughs> that great idea where he says, you know, he talks about everybody's has a hidden beauty. Uh, a hidden wholeness and that uh, it, it it has never it's a place in the human heart that sin has never touched it's yeah. it, it never could reach it's it's that god spark within and and gosh i, I mean i hope everybody heard that as a blessing just now from you that uh, that they're not what they survived they're not there there is that hidden beauty that remains yeah, and it's untouchable. And it's untouchable. Right. Yeah. Hey, my brother, I could go for hours, but you can't. And uh, I love you. Uh, every time I, I finish a conversation with you, I love you more than the last time I talked to you. It, By, that's true for me, too. Probably Thanks, best that we don't see each other every single day. This could go places. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I wish you every good thing. And I hope we get to go fishing again. I hope so, too. I look forward to that. It's kind of inevitable. It is, I hope. Peace and grace to you, my friend, and best to your family. Yeah, blessings to you, and love in the key of three. Anthony, all right, tell me something right now. Sometimes people promise and under-deliver, but I promised 
at the front end of the show that that was going to be great. Did I overpromise? Uh, Ian, that was a home run, man. I think people are going to listen to this two-part series for a long time to come. And uh, Paul Young is gold. Some people talk, and there's just gravity. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. I I hear lots of people talk. They have pretty words. You know, great sentences, great presentation. But they find they ring the ring, and it doesn't. You know, the whatever's in you. That, that knows and understands someone when they're deep doesn't ring sympathetically. Right, you know? right. But when Paul opens his mouth, I mean, it just, he, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He's got some deep stuff to say. Yeah. And it's meaningful. Now, here's the thing about figuring out his type, and, mm-hmm. and I, I think this is what happened. Mm-hmm. This is why it was sort of hard. I think Paul has suffered and worked through so many things in his life, has reached a point in his life. Um, I think he may be one of the most integrated nines I, I've ever known. Mm-hmm. And also, because of that, he has a mystical quality. Like all nines that when they're healthy, they are so awake, there's a mystical quality to them. And I think it becomes tougher to figure out their type because they're so uh, tuned and plugged in across all these types, but they're awake. They're, I have they, to say, I thought he was one of us. For a a four? Yeah. yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I bet you everyone else thought they was one of them too because he's just he's got it, man. Right, right. right? right I mean, right. he's he's really an extraordinary person. Right? Agreed. Yes. I love the Enneagram. It's so much uh, fun. It is. Right. And I'm so grateful you're doing this work again. Well, thank you, man. I'm glad you're doing so it. So meaningful. Me. Yeah. Well, I uh, today was one of those episodes I actually didn't want to end because I was having such a good time. Yes, as producer, normally it's my job to try and cut you off and say, Ian, five minutes, 30 seconds, wrap it up. But today I was lost in the show, completely lost track of time. Yes, I know, because on several occasions you have actually held up a phone (laughs) with a message on it to me that says, you are performing an (laughs) opera, stop now. Oh, dear. Hey, everybody, listen, we're so delighted you're part of our family. Do us a favor, go visit our website, typologypodcast.com. Leave us any questions or comments that you want. Tell your friends, please, about our show. Tell them, uh, do us a favor. Go over to iTunes. Go over wherever you you know download your fine programs and leave a review for us. Helps people find us. Mm-hmm. Um, share it. Share it, baby. Share it. Share it with your friends. Yeah. We really uh, would love to have more people learn about the Enneagram, learn about themselves, become more compassionate, thoughtful people in the world. Absolutely. Anthony. Ian. You're a fine soul. I do love you. Love you too, brother. You have a wonderful week. And uh, until next time, my good friends, listen to me. In the words of the great Oscar Wilde, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. See ya.